like part of my French there, but like... Yeah, we just sold our most sellable asset for nothing. So that's, that's a great precedent. The West version of Boston, sort of, in some ways. The full unanimous, this is the theory of the Real Housewives of Hockey. Welcome back to the Real Housewives of Hockey. I'm Riley. I'm Stu. And I'm Evan. So first of all, we're going to be talking a lot about the trade deadline as we want to explain our thoughts about what's going on in the league in general. But I'm going to start by talking about a CCM post, an official CCM post today, which I will read the caption and then I want to guess at who the players playing are. Okay. Two of the league's top D are going head to head tonight in a battle out West. Guess the two defensemen that they have in the photo. Eric Carlson and Seth Jones. No. Well, you got one of them right. Seth Jones. Uh, what? Seth Jones and Drew Doughty? Nope. Do you guys want a hint, or should I tell you at this point? Quinn Hughes? Nope. Miro Heiskanen. Miro Heiskanen. Ah, uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> now, why did you say Seth Jones, Stu? Because I knew that he's a CCM-sponsored athlete. <laughs> right. But is he one of the best, def- or two of the league's top D? I don't even know if this year he's been one of the top two D on his team. Not sure. But they did just trade Jake McCabe, so that uh, might bump him up a little. That's true. Okay. But moving forward, before we get into things that did happen, we wanted to talk about one player who didn't move. That player being... James Van Riemsdyk. Remains a Philadelphia Flyer. Uh, because according to uh, his general manager, uh, through a report from the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, we certainly made everyone aware that he was available. We made them aware we'd retain 50%. We'd even take back a contract, said Chuck Fletcher. Uh, I'm trying to be very clear here. I didn't get a clear offer of even a fourth-round pick. So my biggest thought here is, yes, he's willing to take on a contract. Yes, he's willing to retain 50%. But at this point, there was almost no teams left that could retain another 25, another whatever on top of it. And a lot of the teams that he would have been traded to, which it was sounding like it was Detroit, it sounded like it was Dallas, and it sounded like it was Winnipeg. All of those teams are pretty close to the cap already, so they would have need more retention. But Columbus, out of retentions. Arizona, out of retentions. San Jose, out of retentions. Montreal, uh, Evan, they had one out of two? Uh, for which trade? Retention. How many retentions total? Do you know? Uh, yeah, two. They had two, so they were all out of retentions as well. Minnesota popped out of nowhere, started being a retaining team. They used both their retentions. So, I think they kind of seemed like they might have been selling a little bit too late. And they might have been able to move JVR if they did earlier. Yeah, the return's not that high, but when you're stuck in the perpetual middle like they are, you take whatever you can get. Well, and Freed, so Friedman, uh, Elliot of uh, Sports Hunt and Hockey Night in Canada reported that the deal, whatever was possible, did not get finished with Detroit. There was stuff in the air. Um According to Chuck Fletcher, he didn't get any offers on Van Riemsdyk until about 1.40 Eastern, probably today, which is interesting. But put us through a a scenario that might have happened, Stu. Well, according to uh, one commenter uh, who's having a little bit of fun uh, on Sportsnet's official site, uh, rumor has it, Flyers didn't even send that confirmation email in time. 
No one could find an iPad. No iPads could be found in the Philadelphia Flyers facility. What a shocking revelation. Never thought that could happen. Torella, you're doing a job at something. So now getting into what things that did happen, I'm going to start off by talking about the San Jose Sharks. Because I have opinions. Oh boy, does he have opinions. <laughs> Get I'll ready. Run through, I'll run you through first the big one. The Timo Meyer trade. Now, I thought Timo Meyer was going to be moved. I thought he was going to move, be moved at the deadline for pretty much most of the season. Because he's kind of around the wrong age here. And we don't think we can turn it around to around a 26-year-old. It's going to take longer than that. Which William Eklund did just get called up today. So good to see that we are building around 20-year-olds. But the return for Timo Meyer, a gimme, pretty much a gimme 30 to 40 goal scorer. This year, it looks like he's going to be hitting a career high. Um, we retained 50% on him. We gave up Scott Harrington, who is an NHL defenseman. Kingston would, boy. Kingston boy. Shout out to Kingston. And truly is an NHL player. Zachary Abum, don't think he's going to be much goaltender. Is fine, but don't think he's going to be an NHL. Um, we gave up Santeri Hack. Yeah, I have a tough time with that name, but I think that he was probably the next defenseman up for San Jose as far as prospects go. So upset to see him go, but I don't think his ceiling's very high. I think he's kind of like a seventh D kind of trajectory and a fifth. The fifth, whatever, that's fine. The return, Andreas Janssen, who shout out to him, he is was a Sharks fan growing up. So it's nice that he gets to come here, but not part of the long-term future, capped up. Fabian Zetterland, good player. Evan, you thought he was a Andre Palat, correct? Yep, basically Andre Palat type player. Yeah, I said a, uh, he kind of feels like he's a light, light version of uh, Nico Hischer. Mm -hmm. uh, and the main pieces are Nikita Akhotiuk, still learning the names here. Yeah, Akhotiuk. Who's a 22-year-old Russian, looks to be okay. I, I think he's probably, he's played 10 games in the NHL has one point, and then in Utica this year, he has six points in 20 games. I don't see him as being necessarily a point-producing top four. Maybe he makes the top four. Probably it looks like he's on path to be an NHLer at least. So another roster body back replaces Scott Harrington. And then the main piece is Sakir Makama Doolin. What's interesting about him was he was drafted during the COVID year. He is 19. Or sorry, no, he's not 19. He is 21 now. He's he was 19 at the time of being drafted. He was a first-round pick, 20th overall. And he has done quite well in the KHL for himself with 25 points in 67 games this season, which is not an easy league to, to do that in. And I will say that from what I've read from Corey Pronman, from other rankings, some people think that he could be better. I was reading an article by, um, not Kevin Kurz, the new guy. What's his name, Stu? Corey Masiak. Corey Masiak who is the beat writer for the Sharks, and he was kind of saying this trade kind of one of two ways. Oh, I should mention, we also got a, a first that's conditional and a second that's conditional. The conditions are, on that first, if the pick is a top two selection, Jersey will transfer it to 2024. Basically, if for some reason they get Bedard or Fintilli, we don't get them through that trip pick. Doubt that's going to happen. Looks like they're going to make playoffs. So mid to late round first. The second round pick is conditioned if New Jersey makes the 2023 Eastern Conference Final, and Meyer plays in 50% of the games, or New Jersey make the 2024 Eastern Conference Final, Pick becomes New Jersey's 2024 first. So, Sharks fans, cheer for the Devils. Kind of. We want them to make the Eastern Conference Finals. We don't want them to win that, because we want the pick as low as possible, but we want the pick as, to be as high round as possible. So, 
getting back to what Corey said, he said this trade could go kind of two ways. You saw what Ottawa got back from Mark Stone in Brandstrom um, as the main piece. He pros- a lot of people thought he was going to be a good player. He's just breaking into the league now. Hard to know if he's still going to turn out, not looking like a great trade. Or it could be the Eric Carlson trade, where, okay, a lot of fans were really upset about it, uh, Ottawa fans, because they didn't think they got enough. But in the end, they were able to get Tim Stutzel. Uh, they were able to get Josh Norris was the big one, because he was a late-round pick, and he's very much like Shakir here. Sorry, he was a f- late, late first-round first. pick. Yeah, late first. He was 20-something, 20th overall? 25, maybe? Regardless. Uh, but similar to Secure here being like a late first round, who, if you did a redraft, would be much higher. So that's where it comes in. And then those two firsts, because they're second half of the round, I'm hoping that Mike Greer repackages them. My thought is Mike Greer just showed his hand too early as a GM. He's not showing that he's willing to be patient because we saw Alex DeBrincat get traded as a worse RFA uh, piece. And his trade that he got was pick seven. And I gotta look up the other part of it. While you're looking that up. Yes. Henry you know, went for a draft class. Timo Meyer went for a, you know, maybe. We'll see. Like, I understand that San Jose, you're acquiring some no, some slightly more known assets than those draft picks. But in terms of a return, you're thinking about that. I do. I mean, I would put Zetterland above a four, five, and a six, let's say. Mm-hmm. So cancel those right out. And then it looks like it's going to be two firsts. So as far as comparing those two trades, you are definitely getting more value in total than, than just the tenors know. But my biggest comparable is the DeBrincat trade because they were able to get pick seven and pick 39 for Alex DeBrincat as a unsigned RFA. And we, as San Jose, we had the signing rights of Timo Meyer, And so we could have waited. We had no reason that we had to make this trade now other than thinking this is the most value we can get. And to be honest, I can't say that the value that we got is the same as that. And we're also looking at a winger who hits a heck of a lot more, is on a higher pace, goal pace than DeBrincat was than the year that he was traded. So overall, it was actually a better asset. So the idea that we would have gotten a top seven to like five pick this year is totally in the question. And an early second round pick also sounds quite nice for this team. So I think Mike Greer showed that he's not patient enough as a GM, that he's he showed that he's inexperienced. And that scares me for the future. The next step to the whole San Jose debacle is then the following thing we did was we traded uh, Michael Isimov to Tampa for Vlad Nemestikov, who was at half retention. I liked Michael Isimov. He was getting better and better in San Jose. He had eight points in 20 games after having four in 28, I believe, for uh, Winnipeg. And then we did turn around and flip Vlad Nemestikov for a fourth round pick. So essentially we did get Isimov off waivers and then get a fourth round pick for nothing. But I honestly think the player himself has already made the NHL. Not many fourth round picks can do that. He's young-ish. I think keeping him around would have made sense. So I don't know if I like my career just getting rid of young-ish guys who probably aren't going to have that much money and are improving under a coach that you have. Now the next trade that we had was picking up a seventh and a fifth for Nick Benino. Now, Evan, you can tell me, did you like picking up what you guys picked up for retaining Nick Benino? I thought it was fair in terms of uh, based on uh, market, like the market prices and stuff, looking at what 
a team like Minnesota was doing. So I thought it was fair because I mean, I'm sure if you, I mean, the cap is whatever, it's more of the salary of whatever's getting paid out to um, Nino. So I think it's fair. The only thing that I found, oh, no, never mind. There's no condition on our pick. There's conditions. No. Yeah. Okay. For the, uh, conditions on the Jose picks that have not been released to cap friendly yet. Yeah, no, 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 but overall, I, th- I thought it was fair. So no, no complaints on my end. No, I don't have a ton to say about that trade. I'm glad that we traded Benino. I liked him as a player, but I'm glad to see him go to a contender. Um, also, it's kind of funny that he went back to Pittsburgh, where he won two cups. Yep, back-to-back, 16 and 17. Yep. Good old HBK line. So oh, yeah. that's kind of the end of my Sharks rant, just simply saying I'm terrified for our future because we just gave up a star piece for minimal and we gave up on young assets for a fourth round pick. You said the Debrinka trade was seven and thirty-nine? Thirty-two. Thirty-two? Or was well, thirty-two no. or thirty-nine? Thirty nine. They didn't okay. Yep, and thirty-nine. So just for contact, the players they got there. Kevin Korsinski looks like a pretty solid defensive prospect. Projects to be top four minimum. And four. a uh, cult favorite in this household for sure. And that would be a certain forward who had 12 points in 11 playoff games for the Kingston Frontenacs. And that player would be Paul Ludwinski, who every time I've seen live has been the best player I've seen on the team. And that included when they had Lucas Edmonds, who led the team in points, and Shane Wright, top four pick. I think he projects to be a middle six center. So the fact that they got a middle six center and a top four D Slash maybe some eyes, some people they would push as far as top two D feels like a much stronger pickup than what San Jose got of Zetterland who projects to be middle six winger and uh, two defensemen that project to make the NHL and two magic beans of late round picks and the other thing too to think about <laughs> sorry Riley um, was we just saw perhaps the biggest. RFA trade of somebody with an eight-year contract in the summer um, with the the move of uh, Matthew Kachak. All right. Okay. So just getting back to it because we had some technical difficulty. Uh, So over the summer, Matthew Kachak got traded um, and he was a restricted free agent who, because he was a restricted free agent, was able to sign an eight-year deal and then they traded him subsequently. The real first NHL sign-in trade, it happens a lot in the NBA, but yeah. That's got to be something, if you're Mike Greer, that you should have kept in the back of your mind going into this summer. Yeah, like, so the, <laughs> like the pedigree for the la- for this summer, actually, was we saw the Debrinkat trade at the draft where he was unsigned, RFA, and he got got two top-end players out of it, really. And then you saw the Mac and Chuck trade where it was a, it was a fully signed piece, and it got it netted back. A defenseman that, or a winger that had just broken the assist record for a left winger, and also a, a, a top two defenseman, like for most teams in Mackenzie Weaver. So, and, uh, and Huberto, I should say, for first, because I didn't mention the name. So, I agree. Like, I think we just saw that Mike Greer can be bullied by these other GMs. And truly, like bullying I mean, the new kid. Yeah. And the funniest part was we, Evan, we, you and I were watching these trades kind of happen, quote unquote, live, seeing them posted to cap friendly and other sources and whatnot and so we saw this new gm get schooled and we discussed that and i cried for a while then uh right after the tanner Janot trade that Stu brought up happened we went well the oldest gm in the league just schooled the rookie oh yeah uh david poyle baby david poyle 
Is he the oldest though? Well, he may not be the oldest, but one of the oldest or longest ten years, I should say. Well, by 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 um sheer experience, he's the first GM in NHL history to um to have been around for three thousand games for yeah, franchise. When he spent twenty six years in one team. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to a bit of a happier note, or hopefully, um, since we're past round one, we'll get to round two then, shall we? With the Leafs corner. Ha 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 ha. Hey, the Leafs made it to round two. Uh, anywho, I was following these moves sort of more closely than any other team, just because I continue to follow the Leafs closer than any other team. Wait, and- do you want to work in sports media? You might want to follow the Leafs. <laughs> Wait, do you um, do you hate yourself? That's um, an okay, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll get a job at the Toronto Sports Network. Everything will be lovely. True. Anywho, so I think... Um, just going sort of over the the deals. Um, the Leafs bring in Ryan O'Reilly. They bring in Jake McCabe. They bring in Sam Lafferty. Luke Shen has returned. Um, Achari. They bring in Noah Achari. Um, and then they also brought in Gustafson. Uh, Eric Gustafson. He's on that list as well. And come on, Dryden Hunt. Uh, also, uh, redeemed Zahorna too. Redeem Zahorna. Thank you, Dryden Hunt, for your services. We enjoyed the one goal, and we are getting a return that is huge. Uh, Not in price. Zahorna? No, he's on an AHL deal, makes seven hundred fifty k. But he's six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds. He's 26. So all the Leafs fans out there, they're like, oh, we're always too small. We're too small. Well, you traded out Dryden Hunt, and you got back size. Yeah, he had no points in eight games with uh, Calgary so far this year. 29 points in 40 with the Wranglers. So not necessarily much at the NHL level, but a solid little depth piece probably plays for the Marlies. So why don't we start with probably the big, one of the bigger tank teams and how they traded out to Toronto. You want to break down the Chicago deal? The McCabe and Lafferty? Yeah, let's start with that one. Well, so I think Jake McCabe comes in and provides you a bit of that Muzzin-esque toughness in on the back end that they've been missing since he got hurt. Um, and then Sam Lafferty... Which no, you should mention. He's also, yes, he's signed and they retained on him. So he's making about $2 million. For the next two uh, years. For the next two years. So that's a nice, that's always nice to grab an extra couple of years and it cost control. I think he should easily replace Justin Hall. Probably, probably as good as he's been since he got freed from Mike Babcock's press conference or press, press conference, press box. Um, I should say, um, anywho, uh, so then they also get Sam Lafferty, who's a nice piece, uh, to slot into depth. Could be a David camp replacement. If he decides that, also He's signed gonna, past uh, this year. Also past, signed past this year. And a uh, fun story about him was uh, I was watching early in the season, very early, I was watching San Jose play Chicago. And on uh, one power play for, for San Jose, Lafferty scored twice. And then we had another power play later that game, and Lafferty had an assist. Three shorthanded points. Yep. And uh, the Leafs led the Leafs led the league in shorthanded goals last year. I forget. I haven't checked in a while to see where they are at now. But that's kind of fun. I love that Luke Shen is back. I'm very happy about that. Uh, and I think that he'll get a chance to play a role that he should play 
in Toronto instead of one that they want to shove hard and try and make him fit, and only to realize that with his skill set, he wasn't going to be a number one defenseman in the NHL anymore. Yeah. Uh, unless he got lots more lessons from Barb Underhill, eh, former Leafs skating coach and former Canadian Olympian uh, as a figure skater, also is probably the reason that Brayden Point can do what he does. But anywho. Now, on Luke Shen, I want to say one thing, though, is I still think that he could play top pair. He's kind of proven that because he's been really good points producing this year with beside uh, Quinn Hughes. He's been able to keep up with Quinn Hughes, and he was playing like somewhere around 20-ish minutes before. So even though he doesn't have to now in Toronto, it's definitely an option, and I could definitely see it happening, him playing beside uh, Morgan Riley. Obviously, it doesn't make him the number one defenseman, and because the expectations are low, I think that he could exceed them. Yep, I think the... And, the, and then some of the other deals, the uh, giraffe is gone. And now on that one, I want to say, I was a big fan. I know that it, this year he's been a little bit snake-bitten, but He's really, really good at just getting the puck out of the end, and I think he might get a chance now in New York in uh, with the Islanders to play top six, and he'll either be beside Barzell and uh, and Horvat, or he'll be beside Brock Nelson and Andres Lee. So you got two thirty goals guys on one line, you got a sixty assist kind of guy, and you got another thirty goal guy. Those are great options for him to play with. So I do think he might get a good opportunity there, and the third round pick might look low. But sometimes you have to sell somewhat low because you need the cap space, whatever. And it's not your fault if he wasn't good enough to break into your into your opportunities. And I mean, like in terms of recouping value, Angro was a seventh round pick by Dave Nonis, so he's been around a while. Uh, and they've managed to to turn him into an NHL player, so that's pretty darn good for him. And they turned that NHL player into a third-round pick. Um, and Riley and I were listening to the Steve Dangle podcast earlier, uh, and they were talking about Engvall, and a lot of the, the same things were going along in my head, um, sort of talking about how he's sort of he's come up through the, the system, he was kind of this unknown, like, you don't know what he is, um, and then he sort of carved a little bit of a role as a as a depth guy well um, he played overseas for a while came over during the calder cup run yep and and he's a guy with like the skill set is is there yeah it's watching the the thing that frustrates you while you're watching him is he's six foot five but you wouldn't think it the way he plays he doesn't he's not in the corners he doesn't he doesn't hit he doesn't hit he doesn't really outmuscle anybody. He has a great stick. Um, he's a great stick, which yeah, like that using his size. But I think that's that's something that has always frustrated Leaf people watching him on the Leafs and on the SDPN. They're saying, "Well, they've got a couple of guys around in Matt Martin, Casey Zizigas, Cal Clutterbuck, that uh, Brock Nelson, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, that are hitters." And uh, maybe that'll rub off on him as a, as a teammate and he decides to get tougher. But the, the, the sort of be-all, end-all, I would say, for the Leafs this year is the only... No Atari. <laughs> well, they they got two rentals in Ryan O'Reilly and Achari. sort of after Dubas said he wasn't going to get rentals which was interesting. But I think the big thing that if you look at all of the Leafs trades, two things that stand out for me 
they actually dug into the cupboard and just went and traded second round pick in 2026 because we're trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. Why do I need a second round pick in 2026? Um, and they didn't touch any of their like big prospects. So Matthew Nyes could still sign and come in, which I think <laughs> could be very important for them. Which we'll talk about um, that later on. Like we have a segment where it'll be brought up. But And then uh, as well, they didn't give up Nick Robertson. They didn't give up Rodon and Amirov. They didn't give up, give up Ronnie Hervonen. They didn't give up Topi Niamela. None of the goalie prospects. Uh, they didn't give up. Yeah, none of the goalie po- prospects. Dennis Hildeby's still around. He hilled a beast. Hilled a beast. Hilled a beast. <laughs> that was the Toronto Stars, Kevin McGran, who came up with that one. Thank you. But the big, yeah, as I said, the like the the big thing here is they don't give up any big prospect, and the the guys that end up being rentals, I think, fit in really well. They, the Leafs have tried in the past to put toughness into their playoff lineup, but they've just done it by putting two guys like Kyle Clifford and Wayne Simmons on the fourth line. Well, actually, you got to go one step further. Their opening lineup last year had a fourth line of Colin Blackwell, Kyle Clifford, and Wayne Simmons. That was their fourth line. They did put toughness in their lineup, but it wasn't across their lineup. It was, we're going to throw this lineup to kill you. And all they did was, well, one got suspended like within two minutes into the game or whatever. <laughs> and they didn't really... Touch the ice the rest of the game. They weren't used. They weren't useful. Yeah, Colin Blackwell played like six minutes one of the nights, and I'm like, why did you he's trade for most, him? He has the most energy and is providing the most out of anything. What are you doing? Yeah, he was kind of the Leafs' Tommy Wingles, and they just didn't use him. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but I think that the moves that they made this year, including Ryan O'Reilly, who's got a bit of snarl and knows what it takes to do <laughs> to get to the play to get to the final in the nope. playoffs. Knows what it. It is to be an MVP in the playoffs. Yeah, and they get him at $1.875 million this year, which is huge. Um, and then Achari is another guy who, when, like, I've heard I've heard a number of people following the Leafs say, like, he was a big problem for them when he was with Boston. And he provides that, that bit of snarl, that hitting in depth, and he could score. Uh, he's got a goal or two, I think, already with the Leafs. Yep. Um, so, and that was the other, like, I think that this, it makes them, it does make them deeper for sure. Not as much as I would have liked. Um, I still think they're missing a top six winger. Yep. That when we talk later in a different segment, but. And like, I know that people have said they, they needed to address the goaltending. Didn't see what was there. The key like, thing was how. Yeah. It, like, are you overpaying to get Thatcher Demko? Or are you taking on many years of John Gibson? Or are you are you trading? Like, like the key thing is, if Matt Murray can't go for a playoff game, are you playing Joseph Wall? Are you playing Eric Shogren? But, like, and I, I've heard some people say, no, please don't. But, like, what were your other options? Thomas Grice? Like, you're going to see if... See if Rhymer is coming back like you're really not you're not doing much and you're just dulling the growth of your goalie like you're never gonna know what joseph wall is if you don't play him good job joseph wall and getting a beautiful win last night he was like 682 save percentage against calgary 
682. Or sorry, 99962. Nine, 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 oh <laughs> like, uh, 682, eh? <laughs> Not so hot. No, I was like, wow, that's I missed, terrible. I missed the, I missed the. I'm like, Garcia Sivir was he a Sivir? Jeez. 962. Nine, nine, Anywho, all right. <laughs> I want to make a point of my favorite. I think the tidiest work that Dubas did this deadline was trading Sandine for Boston's first through Washington. And also their highest point producing defenseman with 10 more than Morgan Riley. How many more games? I'm not sure. I don't have that in front of me, unfortunately. <laughs> Again, I got I got the uh the points were were set on uh the Steve Dangle podcast, so I wasn't didn't have the stats in front of me. I was driving a- he, he uh, <laughs> um here, I'll, I'll I'll give the stats real quick. Eric Gustafson has 38 points in 61 games, seven goals, 31 assists. The main thing is that I I think that this guy can actually be really useful for the Leafs. On playoff time, just put him on your third pair, put him on your second power play if you want, or if Riley gets hurt, throw him on your first unit if you want, and he could help you um, produce. He might just be on the first unit over Riley anyways. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is that people forget that like this guy... When he was in Chicago a couple years ago, this guy put up 60 points in a season. That's no joke. Even if it's like a well, one-year thing, that's still a lot of points. I doubt it, but he might. He could put up 60 this season. Yeah, no, he he, he very well could. Um, it's not impossible. I doubt it. Yeah. But the main reason, why, getting back to like why I think this is tidy work. So not only like let's say you ignored Gustafson completely, which at this point let's say it's a free rental for a guy who like as we were saying has a lot of offensive upside, has some defensive issues. None of us are saying he's perfect, but they got back a, a late what looks to be a late first for a guy they picked as a late first who looks like he'll be a great defense. I like Sandin. I love Sandin. I was hoping he was part of a Meyer trade even, but at this rate he's a he can't he's shown in the NHL he can't play on the right side, which means he's going to be stuck behind at minimum morgan riley for his whole career morgan riley's just been signed to a long-term deal so at minimum at or at maximum he's a number three or four defenseman that is his ceiling in toronto and this year it looks like he was barely fighting to even be in the top six this this season and they're trying to win the cup this season so they were able to recycle him for pretty much what they drafted him at and get a free rental and like timothy lilligren has jumped him in the sort of organizational depth and look much, much and, better. And can play the right side. And can play the right side. So it's like you were, I think, especially looking at the contracts they signed to, you you could kind of see we're choosing between one of these two and now we've got the choice. So like you get to recycle them and you get back a really good rental. I think that's tidy work. Now, I thought when that happened, the Leafs weren't done. They were going to be acquiring a top six winger because as we said, they did struggle to maybe get some winger depth. But I mean, I, I the way I said it earlier today actually was, I think this is Kyle Dubas saying, I want to make that pick. I'm I'm not trading every asset that we have, every future asset we have. I'm not trading every asset in this draft. Like I still want to be the GM making these calls. I've shown that I can draft guys around here who will turn out or at minimum get me a good trade that I can then deal with. So I think this is him kind of putting a bet on himself. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. The other, I, I want, go ahead. I wonder too, um, a little bit, if this is him saying, uh, I'm not completely sort of punting everything in the future, like to go completely in, uh, I think it's sort of a little bit of a, a show of we are, we're all in, we're going for a Stanley cup, but at the same time, we do have to restock the cupboard a little bit so that if we need to make another trade next year, we've got... Slash, we're trying to make the cup every year. Yeah. Evan, you had something you want to say on that? Oh, well, okay. Well, 
two things here. I know this has been said, but like there's that pressure on Dubas at this point where like this guy is just doing everything he can to save his job because given just the the history of the first round exits now, how many I don't even know, like it's been like what, four, five straight years? Well, how many years since they've been in the second rounds, dude, you know? Last time was 2004. Yeah, okay. So basically, that, okay, so that's the thing. So there's pressure on the GM. The other, the other part of it is that when I'm looking at Cat Friendly here, Matthews this year, next year, then his deal's up. Same thing with Neilander, And then you have uh, an additional one more season after that with Tavares and Marner. So the core is basically all up. All their contracts are up within a very short period of time, so two, three years. So he's going for it right now. It makes sense. He's going for it with this core at this point. He's committed anyway the last like four or five years of effort around this core. And now I think he's finally addressed all these different underlying needs. You know, I will agree with you, but I also want to disagree with you on one point. But let's do go first and then I'll bring up my point. Well, and he's he's kind of left himself room to pivot, I think, if... Like, cause he's got all of these these big money. Like, he's got Matthews and Nylander coming off in the same year. Probably they'll be free of whatever Jake Muzzin is at that point. Um, so he's he's left a lot of like like he's like Lafferty McCabe will be up those years too. Yeah, so he's left himself a lot of flexibility down the line, even if he's sort of ending up recommitting to to the same sort of core group and you can move on from Tavares at that point or hope he signs for cheaper that'll help so I don't disagree with that and the cap should be going up too but I the thing I want to disagree with you on Evan is I actually think Dubas has shifted a lot of the blame I think at this point after all of these moves that he's made between getting as we said highest point producing defenseman getting a, a Lafferty who's a bottom six contributor Noel Chari's a bottom six contributor both competitively kill. Ryan O'Reilly, competitively kill, is going to play in the top six, it looks like. And you got Luke Shen. Like, I feel like at this point, he's done almost everything you could possibly want. I still... And then, well, I'm not saying he's out of blame. Let me just finish if you don't mind. I think he shifted the blame to Shanahan by by saying, listen, I can go out and do all of this. You just got to make sure you're letting me because we don't know what happens behind closed doors. But for the last, what, three years, he has only tinkered. He hasn't really made any big swings. And I don't know if that's because the pressure is cutting to him, his contract's up, or if it's just finally they kind of let him do his job. And so I think it's now on Sheldon Keefe to build the chemistry. He's probably the number one for me about guys who has pressure he now has a great lineup to work with i would say it's then on the core four themselves with it in order i would say it probably goes matthews needs to show up in the first round marner needs to show up riley needs to show up because he's been very inconsistent to poor in the playoffs and then i'd say willie because willie's been really really diamond dynamo in the playoffs every single time they've made the playoffs but still hasn't done enough to get them passed around so he still has pressure on the other thing i wonder a little bit too just from traditional hockey sense of the way the world works is often a general manager gets to have one gets to have one coach to fire and like Dubas technically fired Mike Babcock but he wasn't his own coach um so Sheldon Keefe is and the, there was some controversy around yeah Babcock anyways and, yeah there there was controversy and it looked like he was gonna get I don't know. and the way that the team was playing that year too it just looked like they were gonna Fire. Yep. Um, but anyways, so Kyle Dubas has had his or has sorry his one coach now. I wonder if Shanahan, Shanahan, whoever's above him, gives him that that right to fire Keith and try 
another coach. Or maybe Sheldon, maybe Kyle Dubas says, I don't want to fire him. You, can, If you want to fire him, you fire me too. Because <laughs> they've been together at every stop. Um, and I'm sure that you meet, if if uh, if that happened, there'd be some other team in the league immediately would go, oh, yes, please. The general manager and the coach who have combined to give the Leafs their best uh, regular season of all time. and. What is it now? Like five, or sorry, three seasons in a row of 100 plus points? And also uh, get a 60 goal scorer for the first time in a decade. Yep. Now, mind you, a lot of that is because of the player himself, but you can still give some credit to the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's all we want to say on the Leafs corner here. That is all I have. Evan, anything else you want to throw in? Oh, so I verified the number of years. Basically, um, not making it past the first round. It's been six straight years. Verified that on Hockey Reference. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not including years you just don't make the playoffs. No, I, I'm meaning like every single time they've qualified with this core. All right. Yeah, yeah. So Stu saying 2004, you saying that are not mutually exclusive. Oh, yeah. But I'm just, just for yeah. clarification, obviously, for our listeners as well. Um, yep. And then I was, yeah, adding another clarification on Okay, uh, we're going to move on to the rest of the East because the East is a beast and it looks like the West might feast. So, Evan, do you want to start start us off with talking about like some of the, the teams that are kind of in the playoff mix and what they did at this deadline? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I got to start it off with the Boston Bruins, the, the, the fastest team in NHL history to make it to 100 points. I mean, just remarkable last night when they won against the Buffalo Sabres and literally blew them out. They destroyed them. It was it was ridiculous also that orlov acquisition is looking fantastic for him because the chemistry between orlov and and lindholm on the power play is not wow that's looking like something something else for boston that they can throw in the mix had a two-goal game recently sorry orlov had a two-goal game recently yeah no no that's that's what i'm saying this this past game yeah he 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 absolutely was on fire for them Uh, getting garnet hathaway guy can literally mix it up, play super physical, brings that grit, that sandpaper to their bottom six, and he can also score the occasional goal here and there. So good depth scoring as well. Um, and then they also brought in Tyler Bertuzzi because Taylor Hall is on IR. So they were able to do that because Hall, Hall Hall's at it essentially being on IR. Um, just adding more toughness, more scoring to their lineup as if they don't already have a whole bunch. Yeah, this this Boston Bruins team is just poised for a run. Um, they're freaking terrifying. If you face them in the first round, sayonara, good luck. It, it's it's it might as well be like um, Daryl Sutter said like last year. If it if if you're facing Colorado in the first round, it's it's an exit. It's a waste. It's, it's the same. I think you also got here. a goalie that scores goals. Sorry? They've got a goalie that scores goals. Yeah, Lena Solmark, that too. So you're really, you're doubly screwed then. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you want to talk about depth scoring? How many other teams can say they have a goalie that scored this year? Zero. That's depth scoring. There you go. There you go. And uh, one more thing to mention on them is they uh, extended a certain... David Posternock. Stu, do you want to bring up how, how large of a deal this is? So this is off the top of my head from reading tweets. This is the sixth largest contract in terms of total dollars signed in NHL history. Ninety. Uh, it's eleven. Eleven point two five million AAV. It's a ninety million dollar deal in total. No, that that can't be right. His number's not in that in that contract. I thought I heard something about Bruins players and taking less. 
not taking market value. Right. But also, again, what number does he wear? 88? Wasn't it like 11.188 or something, you know? I'm sure there's an 88 somewhere yeah, down the line. There's got to be an 88 somewhere in there. I don't know. If you look at his salary, oh. that's not the case. <laughs> I guess he signed for eight years. It, it doesn't matter yeah, because of the, at the, what was it, the, the, was it the first year this kicks in? I think he's getting paid like thirteen million, and then the last year of it, he's getting paid nine million. So basically, it starts really high and then it slowly descends. That's the contract. But yeah, no, uh, Charlie McAvoy is who also got paid too. It's nine and a half million yep. AAV on him. So they really picked their core, and I would I would say they picked two good people. Yeah, absolutely. Be interesting to see now how they uh, they fill it in. After. How they pivot to the next generation? Yeah, because Bergeron and Krejci aren't going to be there forever. Nope. It'll be interesting to see how they pivot from that. Fabian Lysel, kind of their only real prospect of name. Do you want to go down to the next team in the East? Uh, yeah, I had the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. I know we just talked about them, but again, just big kudos to uh, Al Davis for getting business done by just improving his team in all these different fronts. Tampa Bay, Tanner Janot and Mikey Eastman. I know it's only two guys, but I mean... Tampa kind of knows what type of players it likes and wants and needs and knows it'll be effective for them. So I think these two guys are going to help them mix it up in the playoffs and bring that, that grit, that toughness, but also some level of scoring, at least with Janot. Who knows? Because, I mean, we're all, when we all like looked at that Brandon Hagel deal last year, we're probably all like, what the hell is Tampa doing? But now we can all eat it because Hagel has been really awesome for them this year. So. It's so hard on Janot just to to figure out where he is as a player because this is only his second year and his first year was so good um, and his shooting percentage was insane. This year his shooting percentage is awful. Um, and I've I've read somewhere I think it was the Athletic um, that a big part of that has been like shot area and shot selection he went from sort of shooting a lot in good areas to sort of shooting a lot from some not so good areas which a lot of that can be contributed to he was playing i believe with ryan johansson who had a career year last year or like one of his better years which when you have a guy doing that usually it means you have shots from better areas i like i believe that Tanner Jones is going to pick it up and become more of what we saw in his first year um, as far as your Hagel comparison, I do take a problem with that because Hagel was on like a 25% shooting bender when they traded for him. So it looked like it was like it didn't look as bad as as it like as people thought it did necessarily. But here it looked like they bought low on Geno but still paid high. And I do think that in the end, they're not going to be upset about it. They're probably going to get at least through the first round because don't think whoever they're matched up against again, whether that's Buffalo, New York, um, Islanders, I should say, Ottawa, or Detroit, who knows? I don't think any of those stand a chance, really. I think it's Tampa. Or, sorry, that was again, they're facing Boston, those teams I mentioned, but... Yeah, Tampa's just locked in against Toronto. So yeah, we've, Tampa's... Known that, we've known that since January. Yeah, we love the playoff format. Anyways, yeah. but I, I, even... I just want to say their, their third line is Ross Colton, Nick Paul, Tanner Janelle, according to Daily Faceoff. And I don't know about you, I would not want to jump over the boards when that comes out at all. And that doesn't even mention the fact that their fourth line is Maroon, Belmare, Perry. I, I don't want to jump out against that line either. And then what? I have to face either Hagel or Kalorn in the top six? No matter what, I'm I like I'm afraid for my life when I get over the boards and face it. And that doesn't even include the fact that they have Hedman Bogosian, their top pair, very physical. Sergachev, 
known uh, rat in the league, and then Ian Cole and Cernak, also crazy great physical players. That is a scary team. And I didn't even mention Andre Vasilevsky. Yep. It is a scary team. So did they do a lot? No. Did they do small moves that I think will help them? For sure. Like, Isimov, we didn't say in the lineup here, and I think he could play over Maroon. He could play over Perry. Like, it just depends on if they want to go for more of a, we're going to terrify you, or we want to get more points out of you in the bottom six. And I don't know, the way that they made their moves is like a team that's been to the Stanley Cup final a few times recently. Yep. Yep. Going for their uh, fourth straight Stanley Cup final, guys. So, um, yeah, this team knows uh, knows how to progress in the playoffs. Moving on, finally, after all of what seems like forever at this point, the Ottawa Senators acquiring Jacob Chicharin. Who could have seen that one coming? Yep, and they didn't even give him a single roster player to do it. It was just picks. So Now, the part that I like the most about that trade is you're getting a cap-controlled defenseman who is now your number one or number two, depending, who knows, we'll see, number one, number two defenseman on a multi-year deal. So even if they don't make it this year, they at least have him coming into next year. You build up some chem for next year. You get used to the player. It's a really nice sort of soft buy for the Ottawa Senators who are kind of sitting in that like almost almost a playoff contender, but not quite yet. Um, It's a nice move that sort of stays in tune with what they've already got. And they've been like people have been saying in Ottawa for feels like ever uh, an actual number two yeah and like honestly i think they all they have to do is focus on what they what they can do in the goaltending role and from there it looks like they have a pretty good team their forwards seem to score well adding at this deadline i think really sends a signal that hey guys we are trying to compete we're trying to sell the team let's uh not sit around on our asses yeah I think that one also, um, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds being a uh, owner of, of the uh, the Sens too. That could be, that could be huge for them. I mean, and for Chitrin, just fun little story. Uh, Stuart and I's dad actually played with Chitrin's dad in Ottawa, and Chitrin gave an interview today where he said he was almost brought to tears here, and he was traded to Ottawa with having so much family here. So, who knows? Maybe he counts Hugh Davis in that. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. We'll see. Because uh, he. He's been asking for a trade forever, and he's been playing in Arizona. So maybe a a move to a place he actually wants to be and uh, can help him out. Not that he's been 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 playing badly. Like just kick him into the next year. Yeah, just yeah. kick him into another year. All right, Evan, what do you got next? Okay, I I have um. Buffalo getting uh, Jordan Greenway. I just want to talk about this one quickly. I thought this was an interesting trade for the Sabres. A little bit risky, but fact of the matter is that Jordan Greenway's offense this year has evaporated compared to last year, but the underlying uh, metrics for his defensive game are actually still there. Notably, the thing to point out is the fact that he played on uh, Minnesota's shutdown line. So it was Greenway, Erickson Eck, and Marcus Foligno. And for a number of years together, they they have been really, really good um, defensively and have been uh, sort of just, yeah, just the go-to shutdown line for Minnesota. And we know that Minnesota historically has been a really good defensive team, which is with their defense alone. Um, but this line has been really good over the last like couple seasons so buffalo's getting a good defensive player because i think that's been a area of weakness for them um sometimes if you, if you watch them i mean it's been a ton of fun how wide open it is but i think to sort of calm things down bringing in a big guy like this to help 
add some physicality, but defensive acumen to the team is not a bad idea, not a bad thing um, to help these young players along too that they have. So I actually love this trade for Buffalo because I was saying earlier that, not in this pod to Stu earlier, that I think that this year most teams should either be a soft buyer or a, a soft seller or a hard seller. There should not be anyone or a big buyer. No one should be doing nothing because the East is an arms race. The West is open for the taking. So in the East here, I think doing a soft buy for Buffalo makes so much sense because they didn't give up too much in assets. And as you said, great defensive player. He also has seven uh, career playoff points in 22 game play. That's pretty good for a playoff guy. He signed for the next uh, two years after this at three, which is not a crazy high amount, but also not low. But they're also in a good cap structure to take that on because they'll have Owen Power on the ELC until this expires. They don't have to worry about that deal. And then on top of that, they've been a team that kind of bleeds goals a little bit. They're playing a lot of, we're going to outscore you hockey. So adding a guy who's a little more defensive could be nice. And even if you don't make it this year, again, as we talked about with Ottawa, you have a multi-year deal here. So you can build up some of that chemistry and really just see what you can do with him moving forward in the future. And I can't even imagine facing a line with him and Tage Thompson. You're sending a six foot seven and uh, six foot six out there. That's big. And both can skate really well for their size. Like that's really, I think that's really scary. And honestly, like I, I, I like this move a lot for Buffalo. Like I know it seems weird because they're out of the playoff mix right now, but it, you don't even have to look at this like, oh, they're renting. Like this is a piece for them. And I think like to, it's sort of a, a little bit of a, a show of faith from from the Buffalo management to sort of say, hey, good job, guys. Like you're you're moving in the right direction. Here's a guy who we think can help you out a bit. Obviously, the Sabres are sitting with 66 points. They should have short on the, the Islanders Penguins for that group of uh, wildcard teams. But who knows? A, a little bit of a run somewhere and you're back in it. And I think that adding greenway makes a lot of sense for adding a piece of a piece to your roster that you don't really have already so uh moving along here staying in the east um you guys pick new jersey or new york new york hockey rangers all right new york hockey rangers well starting off you got vladimir tarasenko and then patrick kane both those guys injected into their top six um then they brought in nico mikola to play on their third pair um, they also brought back Tyler Mott in exchange for Julian Gauthier, so just a guy they're familiar with that can help them um, with depth scoring as well. Yeah, this team just their top nine is there's just so much skill, so much skill. That's basically name it at all. I'll let you guys take it away from here. I, I, uh, yeah. To quote Steve Dangle, he was asked about them, and, and like the main question that he was asked was, "Well, they don't really play defense. Are they going to try to outscore their problems?" It's like, well, first of all, they could if they wanted. Second of all, they have either the best or second best goalie in the world. So usually they don't have to. So not only do they have a sick top nine with having the kid line on the third line, as of right now, Patrick Kane, I don't believe is on their power play because there just isn't a spot for them. So I like when you have that much of a like a riches situation if you deal with injury, like you're fine. You're totally fine. And as far as Mikola goes, he's actually playing beside Fox right now. So he's actually on the top pair and we do see Kane getting out on the top unit it looks like according to Daily Faceoff and they they push Kreider down to the second unit. Oh my so god. So you push a former 50 goal scorer. Oh wait, former uh 50 goal scorer last year. Oh. To your second unit. And Vladimir Tarasenko has already looked pretty 
darn scary in a Rangers jersey. Oh my god, that Forsberg. Another Forsberg on, yeah. on Cam Talbot. Or Cam Talbot, again. I was wrong. Chris Kreider didn't get moved. Vlad Tarasenko got moved to the second game. It doesn't matter. You cool. can mix and match. The the options are just an embarrassment of riches. They, they, they took Capo Caco out of their power play. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they are terrifying because they're a high-flying offense octane team. Their depth isn't terrible defensively with having Barkley Goudreau, with having Vincent Trocek, Jimmy Vc, Todd Mott. Both those guys are responsible defensively but not necessarily the most skilled defensively what they lack i'd say the most is they don't have a ton of physicality so if they run into honestly tampa i think is probably the most terrifying for them like i think as far as looking like a kryptonite there but Mikola should definitely add a lot of grit ben harper does that truba's the best hitter in the league right Kreider will run your goalie <laughs> um, and then you have the, in the league so i mean i i got like i look at them and they're definitely not a pretender team but I also don't, they're definitely not my favorite either. Yeah. Um, Stu, anything else to add here? Uh, no. Okay. I'm on the All right. Way. Well, I will say being a, you know, um, if you're a fan of the New York Rangers, it should be a ton of fun for you, you know? Um, yeah, it's showtime. It really is showtime for New York here. Let's see what they can do. Uh, moving, moving. Now, the nice thing, uh, right. one last thing I want yeah. to know on them. They also did not sell everything and anything they had. Like, a lot of people thought, oh, they're going to have to trade Lafreniere. They're going to have to trade Kaka, one of those guys. No, they didn't. They g- gave up, like, possibly two first-round picks for the main pieces. So a first-round pick a piece essentially, for Tarasenko and Kane. That's tidy work. Like, I know two first-round picks sounds expensive, but for the quality they got back, I can't say that I'm mad at it. And they still kept a lot of their young players in, like I said, Lafreniere, Kako, Heedl. They still have Braden Schneider. Adam Fox is still young. Like they did trade Krastoff, but that was kind of going to happen anyway. He wasn't really doing much for them this year. I mean, he's been on their block since pretty much like two, like a year after his draft year. I think it was just the writing on the wall kind of thing. Yeah, he wasn't breaking in, into their top nine, and he wasn't happy playing in their bottom six or AHL. So it was a bad situation for everyone involved. They moved on. I don't count that one really, to be honest. And it wasn't part of the, any of the big trades either. No, so. I'm just bringing it up because yep. he, he's kind of the only example of a youngish. And it wasn't the same situation, right? No. They weren't trading away a young guy they wanted to keep in return for getting someone on a rental or whatever. It was, it was literally moving him out of this situation. Yeah. So they could just be done with it. Yep. Okay, moving on. Going across the river. Got the New Jersey Devils getting Timo Meyer. Oh my god, I am so freaking excited to watch some rivalry hockey between the New Jersey Devils and the New York Rangers. I cannot tell you, this is going to be so much fun to watch. See these teams going at it, destroying each other in the playoffs. It's going to be so much fun. I don't care. I'm not a fan of either of these teams. It's going to be amazing hockey to watch. I don't think that the rivalry has really, like, and there are the last like couple seasons between these two teams. Now, if they meet in the playoffs, I definitely think that rivalry is going to be reignited again to the old old levels that we've seen. So, if the playoffs started today, it's New Jersey, New York. Oh my time. god! Yes, yes. Injected in my veins. Oh my gosh, Riley, would you like to say who uh, Timo Meyer could end up playing with in New Jersey? Well, I want to mention one thing. Shout out to the GM of of the New Jersey Devils because Tom Fitzgerald Tom Fitzgerald because they kept 
Dawson Mercer, they kept Simon Nemec, they kept Alexander Holtz, they kept Seamus Casey, they kept uh, Luke Hughes while getting back the league's best power forward. And he uh, is still hurt, unfortunately, so he's actually not in the lineup for daily faceoff. But I think he'll be taking Thomas Tatar's spot on the top line, playing with Nico Hishier and Dawson Mercer. Yeah, scary. That's terrifying because then their second line is Serengovic, who's been sneaky good. Like, absolutely sneaky good. I believe he's 26 goals at this point in the season. Stu, do you want to double check that for me? Do you mind? Um, And then playing with Jack Hughes, who's breaking out to be one of the best players in the league. And Jesper Bratt, who I would say should terrify goalies on breakaways the most in the league, because that man has not necessarily the like deepest bag in terms of the tricks that he pulls out, like nothing too fancy, but he's a deep bag of these simple moves that just love to fool goalies, and goalies must hate him. And, he, and he's super, super oh, fast. Turnbovich has 27 points in 60 games, 12 goals, 50-ness. 12 goals? Yeah, so he's still been like sneaky good and like super useful defensively for them in that top six role. But Thomas Tatar's also been quite good, so maybe he's on that second line. I don't know how they're building their lines. Blatt's somewhere in there. He's playing in their bottom six right now. But regardless, you're adding Timo Meyer to an already stacked forward core, and you didn't give up much. Like, Zetterlund is the only roster piece that came out of there, and he had 20 points in 40 games, which is solid, but it's definitely not the best uh, that you had, even, with Dawson Mercer being probably the main piece I was hoping for back. Either him, Casey, Nemec. I didn't think Luke Hughes was even on the table. Holtz? I didn't like Holtz. The, I, I can see why people would. I mean, he was a second overall pick. No, he was a he was a, a top 10 pick. Here. Yeah, he was somewhere in the top four. Anyways, I can see why people like him. I think he projects to be a middle six, bottom six kind of guy who's useful. But I again, we got that back in Zetterland. So we got back the same thing, but a little bit older, if you ask me. And a little, and he has played more NHL games and been more productive in the NHL. So between the two pieces, I think we got the better of the two. Holtz was seventh overall. Seventh yeah, in overall, 2020. Okay. So, so I have a tough time like like with gauging him. I don't think he's going to be a star like maybe he was regarded as. But still, still, still yeah. young. Time will tell. You know, really hasn't played that many games so in the NHL. Wrap up talking about the playoff teams in the East with the Islanders. Yeah, I mean, the only guy that I, I mean, obviously like Pierre Engvall at the deadline, but mo- more notably Bo, Bo Horvat. So if you guys want to talk about that, go ahead. Yep. Uh, they kind of set the market value by trading for him early with a first, a roster piece, and a high-end prospect, mid to high-end prospect, so, who did play in the NHL a little bit this year, so he did show that he had NHL upside. That's why I can say high-end prospect, because in my eyes, if you are making the NHL as a regular, that is a high-end prospect, and then from there, you can tier it even more. But that's what they set the market value at. I thought it was a reasonable trade. They extend him. Then Bardell goes down for the injury. So we'll see if they can tread water without him. I think, again, adding Angle should help them with the treading water. I think for them, they don't need to be worried if whether or not they're they're winning the Cup this year. I think because Noah Dobson's still pretty young, Sorokin's still on that deal, I think, another year. And then you still have a couple of years to really figure this thing out. And I think I like all the moves they made, and I don't think in the end they gave up way too much. And they got back a star and a roster piece, and they traded a first, a third, a ro- um, Atu Ratti, or Ratu? Atu Ratu? Atu Ratti. Ratti. Yeah, okay. Um, Atu Ratti and Bavillier, who... I think, honestly, Engvall's as good, if not better, than. So I think they did pretty well. 
I don't think they're necessarily scary for this season, but I don't think they have to be. Elias Rogan is signed for one more year at $4 million. Like, following the season, correct? So he's got, sorry, he's got 23-24 next yeah. year. Yeah, so they could, if they can turn around next year, that's ideal for them. But, I mean, you have a full health of Barzell, you have a full year of, of uh, Horvat, could change the whole look, right? Could, yeah. Good, but you do have to worry. You will have to worry about signing Sorokin after that, and he is expiring as a he'll he'll be a UFA, so he will completely hit the open market at uh, in twenty four. Unless he's given an eight year extension by the Islanders, which I could see happening. Yep, because they're the only teams that could offer him eight. Yep. Sorry, I was saying we wrap it up with New York, but I do want to talk about Detroit, who were much bigger sellers than I think any of us were expecting, based off of what Iserman was saying, and also off extending Dylan Larkin on a $64 million contract. 60-something, like, yeah. 8 by... 8.7. 8, 8. 8. 7, so 64 point... Or 16... 69.6 million. Yeah, 69... Yeah. Which, nice, but... So they lock him up. So they're saying our window is around this guy. But then they trade out Bertuzzi, who Larkin was really upset about. And they are around. They are the same age. They trade out Verona, who they retained half cap on. And they traded out Heronic, who's also 26, 27. So the same age as Larkin. 25. To Vancouver, who I don't know why they're acquiring people. But that being said, they're trying to turn the ship around sooner rather than later. And their decor sucks so I, I like i don't mind the move in a vacuum for them it just seems weird because they're tanking this year so it doesn't make sense for this season but for next season i can see why but i just found it weird that detroit were that much of a seller after committing or well committing you could even say to a guy who's in the same age category as everyone they traded well and it's kind of when you looked at their free agency moves in the summer and obviously you're allowed to make free agency moves with a plan in mind that doesn't happen but it definitely looked like they were trying to make a, a push to be a playoff team this year i would say and, at minimum similar to ottawa they just wanted to play meaningful games late into the season yeah so at minimum they've done that i think that they're still playing meaningful games could still possibly play themselves into a playoff spot not likely possible but i guess i i guess that Iserman's sort of saying we're punting the next year years after that. I'm sure can't make uh, Detroit Red Wings fans all that happy. I've seen a few comments on social media like, we're still waiting for this Iser plan to uh, show us anything. Zadana not looking great. Raymond having a down year. Mo Sider having a down year. Like, he has some promising guys, some good-looking picks, Valeno, whatever. But it just hasn't tied together yet. And, like, I, I do believe that he could turn the ship around. It's just... It's kind of weird that it seems like he's steering in one direction and then turns it around hardcore the other way. Evan, anything to say? On yeah, so being a fan of the team, actually, um, in my opinion, I think that they they moved out cap, but it was really just to allow opportunity for younger players. I think this gives a guy like Jonathan Bergeron some more mobility to prove, you know, what he can do. And, you know, moving forward for the future i think it made sense they moved cap out they have flexibility now and they have a whole variety of draft picks now they have their own draft pick they have the islanders draft pick first round pick they have three seconds for this year's uh draft and then next year they have a um conditional 
first round pick from the Bruins that's top 10 protected. But again, just adding some draft capital here that they could end up using, you know, either draft players that they, that they like or using them to trade for players that they like, who knows, right? So it's, in my opinion, sort of, it's a little bit of a reset for this team to kind of give Iserman some flexibility to move forward. And uh, yeah, also something to clarify, uh, Larkin was down because Tyler Bertuzzi is his best friend. So he lost his best friend. Um, that kind of sucks, but that's the business side of the sport. And um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting time in uh, in Detroit. I'm curious to see who else, uh, you know, who who they might go at. Um, that's all I have to say. So on that note, I want to ask you guys. We'll just keep it in the East because we talked about the East here. Who is the best top six in the East? If you had to rank your top three, can I just give three without a ranking? You give three without a ranking, and then try to get a ranking after. I can pull up the teams and read you the names even if you'd like. Tampa. Wait, sorry, I want to pause for two seconds. This is assuming Timo Meyer's healthy, so he is playing with Jersey for the record. Just putting it out there so that way it's like, you know, more equal playing. Okay. So you have Tampa's top six. Because again, we're not saying top nine, we're just saying top six here. Yep. Mm-hmm. As part of what I think makes Tampa so scary is definitely that third line is just terrifying. It's sort of hard to play against. Tampa, New Jersey, Toronto. In that order. Honorable mention to the Arcaki Rangers. Wow, yeah, I don't like Yep. I, I'm gonna disagree with you with, with my list. I would probably say in my opinion it goes New Jersey first, because I like the fact that a lot of their guys play both ends of the ice in that in that middle in that top six, which is similar to what Tampa has, but I think just you compare Sorelli as the second line center versus Jack Hughes. You compare Stammer to uh Stammer wins his matchup, Kalorn I think goes even. Kucherov versus uh, Timo Meyer. You could argue that's fun. <laughs> what? That's a fun matchup. But you could even argue like it goes equal between the points and the physical play, right? Like that kind of evens out. And then you have Shishir who's going off and Braden Point. You know, again, both good two-way guys. And then you have Hagel and uh, I guess for Brat, I guess, or like you could say Brat against Stamco. Like it, it for me, they're they're both very similar. But I think that. New Jersey's that next step. So I would go Jersey one. I would probably say Toronto. Now I can't say Toronto two because Michael Bunting scares me too much in the playoffs. I would have to go probably yeah. the uh, Rangers two and then probably Boston number one at full health because I mean, they added Bertuzzi. So it's Martian, Bergeron, DeBrusque, Zaka, Krejci, Pasternak as of right now. But I think Zaka gets moved down. And in goes Bertuzzi. Yeah, and fully pretty... healthy, you could even say that you have Taylor Hall in that mix, too. Pretty... You have Taylor Hall and Zach on so, your third line. Either that, or you move DeBrusque to your third line. I know he's having a great season, but you could have Bertuzzi or Hall top line with Marsha and Bergeron, and then you have the other on that next one. I think that's a, just a terrifying top six. So, also funny as we're recording this, I just got a notification saying Shane Goss's Bears scored his first goal as a uh, Hurricane against uh, his old team. <laughs> so, shout out to him. We didn't really mention Carolina much, but in this pod because they were pretty quiet. I did like their one move of Goss's Bear. That's it. That's all you guys yeah. about. They're still I, Yeah, they, they were scary in kind of like all of the conversations about like. Like a Timo Meyer in Carolina. Uh, that would have been scary. 
but unfortunately they uh, couldn't pull the trigger on anything really. I don't think they had to. And, like, like, I agree. They, they don't. Were, they they were, totally didn't need to. They were linked to a lot of things because they had cap space and they have a fair bit of prospects. But I think they kind of just decided like we are a scary group. We are a young group, and we have a lot of young guys we could add in in the future. So they're not necessarily trying to win go all in this season, and I don't think they have to. So I don't mind that they didn't do a lot. I did like what they did. So overall, like I like we don't talk about them a lot, but I wouldn't put them in my top three, top sixes. But I also just shout out to them. They they are still terrifying. Just yeah, just Adam, quick. yeah. Top. So my top, uh, I I think I I would agree with you, Riley, uh, about New Jersey. I, I mean. I've been following this team for like a number of years. Obviously, it's like, you know, it's it's my local team when I'm back home in the States. So there's that. So I've been watching them quite a bit. And yeah, no, that, that, the, just they're the completeness of that top six in terms of what they can do all around. Like, yes, Rabrat is one of the best two way wingers in the game on top of the fact that he could just deliver offense. It's, it's, terrifying honestly the the fact that yeah they just have so many ways to attack you it, it's really scary i think and i'm really curious to see how that's gonna get uh how that's gonna pan out in the playoffs for them i think just for the fun of it and just how ridiculous the skill i, I gotta throw the rangers in there and then for like my third one i, I don't know like it's this weird toss-up in my head between like for that third spot it's like the leafs the bruins tampa bay i don't know pick pick one of them you know, like they're all deadly, you know, but I guess for this season, I'll, I'll go, um, I'll go Boston. Cause I mean that the, the chemistry is really apparent. I mean, they just, they go out there and they kill everyone. It's, it, it's ridiculous to be honest. Like that second line, honestly, like Zaka, David Krejci and Pasternak is nasty. If you watch them play, it, it's, it's very impressive. It's, they basically have two first lines out there. Because they were able to posture knock on his own line, and Krejci's no joke. The guy's like thirty-five, but I mean, holy shit, he he's he has more points than Bergeron this year. Just FYI. So yeah, guy's a legit player. Which you know, Bergeron Bergeron's only known for his points. He doesn't do anything oh, else. No, right? no, 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 no nothing nothing terrible, terrible. He's terrible defensively. Yeah, no, no. He's like uh, he's like Patrick Kane equivalent on the defense. Uh, he, gets, he, gets, he gets enough points every year to win the Selkie. Yeah, exactly. Go. Like that's that's all he is, right? It's just he wins enough draws every now and then, and has a shit ton of points. So they're like, ah, oh, he's the best yeah. defensive player. But, you know, he's terrible uh, defensively. Absolutely. Obviously, um, okay, but in all seriousness, I just looked this up, and Bergeron's actually the leading goal scorer on his line between him, Martian, and DeBrusque. So yeah, that's kind of terrifying. This guy just ages like fine wine continuously. Yeah, my God, the the the, the East this year is unparalleled ridiculously good lack of parity conference wise is i don't think it's been this significant in like god knows how long at this point it, it, it's remarkable to be honest so yeah talk like talking about that parody so i want to rant a little bit about my gripe with the ownership groups in the west right now because we just saw an arms race occurring in the east which has led to if you look at the sports betting odds uh Six or sorry, five of the top six of the teams to win the cup are all in the East, which mathematically, when you're thinking about the odds of that, makes no fucking sense. Because how can you have all of these teams? Like some of them are facing each other in the first round. Like you have Tampa and Toronto in that list. They they are facing each other in the first round. How can you have them as as cup favorites? And it's because when you look at the deadline, when you look at even the offseason, when you look at like the moves that have been made to the West. You had Nino Niederreiter for a second round pick, and you had Matias Ekholm for 
a, as a slight upgrade on Tyson Berry. Vladimir go for fourth round pick. Vladimir go for a fourth round pick. So really, you, they did nothing. And I am pissed off at the owners for this because you're an idiot if you're not going for it at least a little bit this year in the West because it's so wide open. So like, if you are if you are trying to make money, which you should be if you're an owner, you should want to play more games because then you get to sell more tickets, you get to have more broadcast deals, and it really just helps you bring in more money, concession, uh, jersey sales. You build up these storylines of these players. Like if you're Seattle, this is a great branding opportunity for you. Like, hey, Jeremy can scored 30 goals in the regular season, and he did okay in the play- like playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, however you want to market it, whatever it is. But the idea that no one went for it to try to do something big to really make a push because it's kind of a two horse, three horse, maybe race between Colorado, Edmonton, and uh, Winnipeg. But like, I don't see, like, I think if you see LA make a bigger splash, like if they actually got Chitron, they'd be right up there. If Seattle went out and made one other solid move, I think they're right up in there. But without doing it, there is a huge separation. And I'm really disappointed by the fact that none of these ownership groups really grabbed the opportunity by the by the horns and said, we can make a deep run this year, and that'll make us a lot of money and gain a lot of fans for the future. And Vegas finally realized, oh, we really don't have anything we could do this year. Well, I mean, actually, I forgot to say, they, they did do a little bit. They picked up a goalie, and they also uh, picked up uh, Ivan Barbashev. And again, Neither are gigantic moves, and I can't say that I, I can't say here and say it made them significantly stronger. Well, don't forget uh, Teddy Bluger, so I, too. They got Teddy Bluger. Who has been terrible why, if you yeah, repeat Pittsburgh media. Yeah, why Why can't I forget Teddy Bluger? I think it was, I think it was Gentile who said, yeah, trade Teddy Bluger out. That might help you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think I, can, I think I can forget Teddy Bluger. <laughs> all good, all good. Anyway. So, moving on, Evan? Oh. Oh, this is going to be fun. So, um, I want to talk about some uh, trade legends for different franchises here very quickly. So going back, 2016, any of you remember a particular goalie was a legend? This Marty Birder? Oh, no, 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 or no, is no, this no, Ryan? no. Okay, there's a Martin. It is. Oh. Artemis Jones himself is a Boston Bruins legend. He was only a Bruin for 20 minutes, guys. Traded to uh, to the Bruins, and 20 minutes later, he became a San Jose Shark. So this is just for shits and giggles that I'm going through this list. All right. It should have been an offer sheet. It should have been an offer sheet, but they wanted to avoid a barn yep. fight. Okay, moving on to 2019. Sharks legend Mike Hoffman. Three hours as a Shark. Oh, boy. What a legend. Definitely deserve it. He, he has that banner. Yeah. He, he's going to have that banner raised, guys. Oh, boy. Yeah, no oh doubt. Boy. He's the whole reason there was a condition that uh, San Jose could not trade Eric Carlson back into the Eastern Conference <laughs> at the time. Yep, because we pissed off Pierre Dorian the first time, and then the second time he was like, mm, I don't want to be played the same way. And we were like, okay, we won't trade him this year. Or maybe ever. Yep. Yeah. All right. Even though there were all those rooms. Okay. Which apparently were completely unsubstantiated. Anyways. Yeah. Moving on to uh, last year's trade deadline. Oh my god, this is like this is gonna be a gag forever. Ducks legend Evgeny Daddy Dadnov again. The Ducks legend Dadnov. I mean Timo. Who? Wait, how long was he not a duck for? Um, 
I don't know. That's a good question. He was not a duck for almost any, right? Yep. Yeah. Longest tenured duck in history. Eh? <laughs> well, you missed you missed a couple of uh, fun names there. E- Ottawa. Ottawa, oh. Ottawa legend Ian Cole. Ah, uh, okay, thank you. Please fill in the gaps, please. Well, this year, I, oh, like I, I know you're working I, oh, your way. Okay, Carl. basically, my the rest of my list is, is just this year. So, if you have anything prior to this year, please do. Um, you know, Leafs legend Robin Liner. Was that a deadline move? Really? Yeah, okay. okay. I, I knew that he was a Leafs legend in that same sense. I just didn't know if it was a deadline okay. move or not. Yep. Uh, those are the first. Those are the two off the top of my head. Uh. Habs. I'm gonna mention it. I'm gonna mention that one. Okay. Let me. Um. Okay. You know what? Let me mention. Where was he? Was he siphoned somewhere? Yes, he was. Uh, where was that? Um, give me one minute. Yeah, we gotta mention the Nick Foligno one. That's true. He's the San Jose Shark. Yeah, Nick Foligno, uh, San Jose Shark legend. There you go. Another Sharks legend. Okay. Okay. Let me run through. Let me run through the legends for this year, and then if you guys come up and. Yeah, come up with any others. We'll add them in too. So starting off with uh, the uh, Blue Jackets legend, legendary goaltender himself, Jonathan Quick. Fun fact: He never stepped foot in uh, in, in Columbus at all. Yet, just still a legend. Fun fact: He yeah, didn't leave exactly. LA. <laughs> I'm sure he's played game. Never, in never, in never conceded career. a goal as a, as a Columbus goaltender. What a what a legend. That's true. Hundred percent safe percentage. Um, continuing mm-hmm. with the long list of Sharks legends. We have Vladislav Nemestikov. You guys, who uh, fun fact has, has been on eight teams in the last five years, or in the last five, yeah, five years, I believe. Three, oh, three years, eight teams uh, in the last a, three years. What? The f- <laughs> what? Yeah, Vlad suitcase Nemestikov. Yeah. Vlad suitcase Nemestikov. Hey, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, moving on. We have uh, for you Montreal fans, we have a Habs legend, a Nick Benino. My God, that guy. The guy was a two-way force. Got Bob Gainey, who? We had, no, no, Nick Benino is who it's at. Ball legend bones. Yeah. And then I have two Minnesota Wild legends here. Um, Dmitry Orlov, as well as Ryan O'Reilly. She you guys didn't know that one. Now, those are interesting because of the three-team trades. Oh, wow. The uh, retention of the salary. And then, most notably, got to end off with this one because of the Twitter mock-ups of these photos. Um, Arizona Coyotes legend, Patrick Kane. Oh boy, guys! Oh boy, you can go join the All Star yeah. team. Yeah, someday. Yeah, their alumni squad yeah, is really just, good. They just added Shea Weber and uh, uh, Jake Voracek at this deadline too. Yeah. So moving on, I actually want to mention like a shout out to Arizona, who had a tidy, tidy deadline. So first of all, I want to mention that they traded brother for brother for the first time ever to occur in the NHL. They traded Nick Ritchie for Brett Ritchie, which that was a fun story. But the main one I wanted to get at was. In total, they were able to accumulate. Pause, because it's very long. A 2023 first round pick, a 2023 third round pick, a 2023 fifth round pick, a 2023 sixth round pick, a 2024 second round pick, a 2023 third round pick, a 2026 second round pick, a 2023 third round pick. Shea Weber, uh, Michael Kesselring, Brett Reggie, Connor McKay, and Jakub Borchek. All by trading out Dustin Mayo, Shane Gosses Bear, Jakub Bor- uh Sorry, Jacob Chitron, Nick Bukestad, Cam Deneen, Nick Ritchie, Troy Stetcher, John Gillies, and retaining 25% of Patrick Kane. Who knew that John Gillies was still around? Not me. Yeah, I couldn't have told you that off the top of my head either. Another name that I had in a while had to be Jakub Voracek. Just kind of forgot he existed. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, like, like, 
not not trying to like say any disrespect to the guy. Just I like he's not a name I've heard. Like, yeah, I know he was stuck in Columbus, right? But even when you're hearing, oh, Columbus sucks, you'd only hear about Johnny Hockey. You'd only hear about maybe Patrick Laine, Zach Berensky, the goaltending being terrible. I I pay attention to Boone Jenner, but yeah, I have a certain affinity for Boone Jenner. Exactly. But yeah, just shout out to Arizona like for tidy work. They picked up a lot without giving up too much. Yep. The uh, the ever uh, I don't know the endless the endless the endless, endless tank. tank of this team. I mean, guys, they have. Two first round picks this, uh, yeah, two first round picks this year, four thirds, and then uh, in twenty twenty four they have four seconds, three thirds, twenty twenty five they have four seconds, and then as well as two thirds. Uh, yeah, that's freaking ridiculous. If you go look at their cap friendly and look at just the draft picks, it's it's nutty the amount of picks that this team has. Also, shout out to uh, Kochekov who scored a uh, goalie goal tonight in the yeah. AHL. Oh, okay. And he sallied so hard, and it was <laughs> awesome. Another shout-out I want to give is to Habs prospect Lane Hudson. He was taken in the second round. I had a lot of faith in the guy. I think he was going to be great. And uh, with a two-goal game, he pushed himself to 41 points in 32 games. And with that, he passes Luke Hughes with 39-41 and Adam Fox with 40-35 and 35 for the most productive U- uh, under-19 NCAA season by defenseman since Brian Lee. Oh. So, Habs look like they got themselves a really good piece there. Another shout is uh, to Adam Fantilli, who has the most points and the second highest amount of goals and the second most uh, points per game out of anyone in the NCAA as the third youngest member of the NCAA. And he's uh, projected to be the second overall pick this year. So all those teams that we didn't talk about too much, except San Jose, you look like you might be getting some good pieces coming back your way. Very well could. Very well could. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for me. So I'm Riley Miller Davis. I'm signing off. Um, Stu Miller Davis signing off. And I'm Evan well. Lee. Thank you guys for listening to uh, our trade deadline edition of uh, the Real Housewives of Hockey. Just going to shout out a plug. Uh, feel free to email us at realhousewivesofhockey at gmail.com and check out our Instagram, Real Housewives of Hockey. Thank you very much, guys. Mm-hmm.